Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Asbury, Methodist Village, and Montgomery County take senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Tool Shed. This is episode one by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. Hope you all had a great, long 4th of July weekend, barbecuing, setting off fireworks, whatever the festivities were for you. Hope you all had a great and safe 4th of July weekend. And what better way to celebrate our nation with our nation's pastime, talk some baseball and some fantasy baseball today. And with me to do so, of course, is my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, bud? I'm much. Just eating a lot of food, getting ready for another cookout tonight as we're recording this on there you go. Monday. So I'll you know, probably gain a few pounds this weekend, but it's, it's been good. Had a good weekend. Hope you have as well and hope all the listeners have. So as Tuesday comes, as you listen to this, it's back on the grind. But hopefully the grind is good and you're doing well in your fantasy leagues. Yes. It's, it's that type of time of year where you really have a – a good sense of where you're going to be at for the most part. Obviously, teams can make runs or fall off, but for the most part, if you if you're a contender, you know it at this point. It's not like oh, maybe I'll be a contender. No, you know it. Or if you if you're not in contention, especially in dynasty leagues, it's time to really start thinking about next year to start you know selling off pieces to contenders. Usually, don't get quite as good of a deal. It's an old saying like you watch on like Law and Order, the person that makes the deal first gets the better deal or something yeah. like that. So same way in you know fantasy baseball. For sure. So, but we're gonna talk a lot of a lot of prospects today, especially a good mix, but a little bit more prospect heavy today, as we usually are on this early week episode. But before we get into all that, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross zero four, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Make sure you check out our Patreon for extra content from both of us, and our YouTube channel for a lot of live prospect video throughout the season. I'm gonna get up some of my live looks from. Quinn Priester and some of the other Pittsburgh guys up pretty soon this week. So check out that. And of course, check out all the other great work we have going on by the entire team over at Fan HQ, including our podcast called The Fly. Great new podcast. Three very motivated guys on that podcast. Kai Haskins, Colin McTamini, 
and Ben Layer. They're very motivated. I've been working with these guys, getting it going. They just dropped their debut episode yesterday, as you're listening to this, on the 4th of July. So go check that out. And they're going to be doing, I think, at least one a week, maybe even two some weeks throughout the rest of the NFL offseason and into the preseason. So make sure you check that out. But let's get this into our episode today. We're going to start with a couple guys that we have talked about a little bit, you know, in recent episodes. How high these two can really rise in dynasty rankings because they just continue to dominate. That's Christian Javier of the Houston Astros and Spencer Strider from Chris's Atlanta Braves. Javier is coming off two, like, arguably, like the two best start stretch you'll see this season. Anybody not named Shane McClanahan. His last two starts against the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Angels combined 14 innings, one hit, one run, one walk, 27 strikeouts. Both were seven inning starts, 13 Ks and one, 14 in the other in 69 and two thirds innings, 11 starts and four relief appearances to 2.58 ERA, 0.96 whip, 8.7% walk rate and a 34.3% strikeout rate. On the flip side, Mr. Spencer Strider and that beautiful mustache. He has now made 18 total appearances, seven in the rotation, 59 and two-thirds total innings, 287 ERA, 1.01 whip, 9.6% walk rate, and a 37.7% K rate. Absolutely dominant. I mean, outside of like one bad start from Strider, where I think he gave up like, what was that, six earns? Yeah, six earned and three and two-thirds against the Giants back on the 21st of June. Like he's been absolute nails. Like look, look at in June, four innings, one run, five and two thirds, zero, five and two thirds, two. Then that bad start. And then six innings, no earned runs. Six innings, one run. Six innings, one run. Just that last one. Six innings, one run with eleven Ks against the Cincinnati Reds. So he's been absolutely. How high could you think these two can rise in rankings? Like they both have obviously stud upside. Do you think you know maybe within the next year or so? We could be talking about these guys as, let's say, top 20 fantasy arms. The upside's certainly there. I mean, look at, I mean, Strider's ridiculous. Like, you'd think he's going to fall off, but he just continues to perform like time and time again. The strikeouts have consistently gotten better. I mean, you look at his outings as he's progressed, and he's had multiple 10K outings. And his most recent start was 11 strikeouts over six innings. Just one hit, one walk, and one earned run. So that's certainly encouraging. And despite, you know, he is walking a decent amount of batters, but even still, he's keeping the whip relatively low. Right now, he's got a 1.01 whip, 90 strikeouts, and 59 innings. He certainly looks the part of a stud starter. And I think many thought that he couldn't sustain as a starting pitcher, but since he's taken over as a starter, I think he's really proved that worth and what he can be. And you look at his starts since he became a starter and the strikeout totals being seven, five, eight, 11, four in that bad outing where he only went three and two thirds, seven and 11. What really stood out to me was his start against the Dodgers where he was just absolutely dominant two starts ago. He threw six scoreless innings with seven Ks against a good Dodgers lineup. That really impressed me. So, man, I think Strider's pushing top 100 dynasty status right now overall. And, you know, from a pitcher standpoint, he's certainly moved up. I I wouldn't be surprised to see him push top 20 status overall. And Javier's another one. He just really needed the opportunity to yeah. just become a starter and roll with it. And he's he's honestly been a pretty similar pitcher. You look, and they're both heavy fastball slider guys. And 
They both have a little bit of walk issues, but they're striking out a ton of batters. And Javier's just consistently got it done, you know, especially since he took over as a starter. I mean, he his last two starts against the Yankees, he had 13 Ks, seven scoreless, no hits, and one walk. And then his most recent start against the Angels, 14 Ks. It was seven innings with one hit, one earned run, which was a home run and no walk. So maybe he's making strides in that walk department because that's been encouraging to see from him, especially in the month of May and June. You know, we've seen him really, sorry, June and July, we've really seen him progress. So I've been encouraged with with both these guys. Now, Javier has a, a whip under one. He had .96, which is encouraging. I don't know. I'm kind of in on both these guys. I think they're both pushing that top 100 overall status. I mean, Javier is 25 years old and Strider is, let me pull it up. He's 23. So both these guys younger for dynasty. And these are things you really love to see. Yeah. These two have to be pushing top 100. I think both are potentially top 100 overall and top 25 or top 30 arms right now for dynasty purposes. Mid season mock draft that I was uh, currently doing I think Strider went around like pick, I think it was right inside pick 100. It was like 97, 98, 99, something like that. Which at the time I was like, eh, you know, that's a bit high. You know, the intrigue's there, but man, that's not looking too high anymore. It's pr- pretty spot on. I don't quite have him top 100 yet, but I think they at the least right now, and I think more closer to like 120 than 150. You, you look at Strider especially, and he's getting away with, and you know, we talked about this last time, that elite fastball averaging. What was he have 98.3 in that slider, which has a 55.1% whiff rate, 102 batting average against, 102 slugs, so no extra base hits allowed, and a 146 Woba, excuse me. And that change up too, a 52.6% whiff rate. Again, he only, he's only thrown at 49 times, 4.8% usage rate. Maybe we'll see that tick up as he you know gets more subtle than as a starter. We'll see. But if he does, even as that a two-pitch guy with that fastball slider mix, I think he can succeed. Like, you know, you can succeed as a two pitch guy. If those two pitches are out right, we've we've seen it with Degrom. Obviously, he's not Degrom. No one is, but Strider definitely has that upside to be like a top twenty guy. And Javier, very different. You know, he is the he's more so a two pitch guy. He doesn't have a huge whiff rate on the sliders. Thirty seven point nine percent. The command actually hasn't even been the greatest on that slider. But four seamer, he works at up slider kind of down the way. I'll mix in the occasional curveball and changeup as well. Everything is like in that mid to upper twenties whiff rate, you know, and then thirty eight percent on that slider. But the four seam and slider both have a batting average against under two hundred and a slugging against under three forty. So those are two pitches he throws about eighty nine or so percent of the time. So yeah, he's definitely getting the eight point seven percent for Javier and what was Strider's? It was right around there nine point six. You know, it's a little high. But you, when you have elite stuff like they do and the ability to miss bats like they do, you can get away with that. Like for, like, I call it the Freddie Peralta range. He was a key example of that. But when you get into like the 11, 12, 13% range, that's when I start to get worried. But 8, 9, 9.5, 10%, you can live with that with, with their stuff. So, yeah, I am definitely buying in. I think it's time to buy high on both these guys. I think they're only going to continue to rise up rankings here moving forward, as we both kind of alluded to. Moving over to the hitting side of things for a little bit here. Another guy we talked about about a month or so ago when he got recalled back up to Boston, but I mean, it really excelling as the Red Sox leadoff hitter, which they desperately needed. Like we, 
you know, obviously we, the Red Sox have that big middle of the order. You got Bogey, you got Devers, you got JD Story when he decides to, that he wants to be good, which is like every other week. But they really didn't have that leadoff guy. They had Kike in there last year, and he did serviceable job. But he's been struggling this year, and you know, out of the lineup more than he's been in the lineup. It feels like so. Duran has really taken that spot and run with it in seventy-two plate appearances, three thirty-three, three eighty-nine, five thirty slash line. Just hit his first home run the other day in Wrigley Field. Four steals, ten runs, and six RBI. Nine point four percent barrel rate, thirty-nine point six percent hard hit rate. But what's really encouraging is that Duran seems to have found that happy medium. You know, when he was you know making headlines as a prospect and kind of rising up rankings, it was really the hit tool and tools. And then he he sold out for power, went too far the other way, and it was nice to see that power. But then you know the the K rate rose up, the average dropped down. So he's back to that happy medium. Even if he's only a you know 10, 12, 15 homer guy, that's enough when you can add. 20 plus maybe 25 plus deals over the a full season and a good average solid OBP as well. And as a leadoff hitter for Boston, you're going to score a ton of runs hitting in front of all those big bats. So maybe he's not huge in home runs or RBI, but I think he could be a very good three category guy. And, and he's a guy I'm buying back into. I was a little hesitant about the, that we saw from him and, you know, at the alt site in 2020 and into 2021, but now that he's kind of found the happy medium, and yeah, it's only 72 plate appearances, but this is a Duran that I think can be a very valuable fantasy guy, probably a top 100 guy. If he's like a, you know, 12, 15 home runs, 25 steals, you know, all the other things that I mentioned, I'm definitely buying back in. But Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and you're right. I think that he's found the, the medium. He's, you know, not sacrificing his contact anymore for the power. The strikeout rate's cut down significantly from his first major league stint. He's making a ton of contact team for average, and I don't think he needs to be a huge power guy. Like I'm, I think he's fine with being even a little bit below average game power because he his speed and his hit will play. And I think we're going to really see that play up if he continues this stretch. Yeah, and as as a Red Sox fan, I'm just glad to see him doing well because there's always a lot of talent there. He's had to find that right blend, and he seems to have found it. Sticking in the American League East here, going on to Tampa Bay, what in the world, Chris, has gotten into Isak Paredes over the last, what, few weeks or so? You look at in the month of June, Paredes hit 271-362-712. So that is a quick man ISO. He had eight home runs, eight walks, eight strikeouts in 69 plate appearances. He already has two more home runs this month in 20 plate appearances. So 10 in his last 89 plate appearances on the season, 13 home runs, 27 RBI, 23 runs scored, and 138 plate appearances. This is power that I never thought we'd see from Prairie. I saw him a few times in the minor leagues coming up through Detroit system when Double A Erie came here, you know, to Portland and, and New Hampshire. And my kind of my thoughts to him were like, all right, right, you know, solid average OBP will be solid, and maybe he adds like 15 to 18 home runs. I thought that he was that type of guy. Never, never been really any speed in the profile, but now that he's shown this additional power, are you a believer in this additional power, Chris, or you think this is a good time to sell high? Oh man, he's a tough one to really evaluate. And I, you know, you thought that he may kind of just fall off, but he's continued to be dominant young. So it's not surprising to see a guy come into his own here, you know, at 23 years old, but we've seen the average. EV tick up, still not great, 
but he's definitely barreling the ball better and hitting the ball harder, striking out less, which is encouraging. So I am kind of buying in. I think you have to definitely buy and ride and see where it takes you. I mean, even if he does slow down, he may, he's not going to keep this pace, obviously, but I think he could be a solid addition to both the redraft and dynasty team. So I think I'd definitely add him and see where it goes. Yeah, I'm kind of there with you. It's kind of weird because as the power has kind of risen with Paredes, you know, and the approach is so solid, half percent. But you look and his XB, I, I would have thought his XBA would have been higher. His, his actual average is 252. The XBA is 230, which is kind of weird when you look at the quality of contact he's showing right now. You know, his zone contact is still pretty solid, 87.7%. He has well below or well above. Better than league average, I should say, whiff rates and chase rates. He's at 17.9% whiff, 23.9% chase rate. Those are very good metrics. That zone contact is still pretty solid. K rate's good. I would have thought that he was, you know, the XBA would have been higher, but, you know, I, so he's another guy that maybe has to find the happy medium. You know, now, that still can provide value, but I think you can see an uptick in that average. I think he's more of like a, 265, 270, 275 type of guy. And even if if he's not this type of power hitter, like I think obviously this is unsustainable. You look at the quality of contact, like Chris mentioned, it's good. You know, it's it's above average, but it doesn't stand out by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, look at the barrel rate, exit velocity, hard hit rate, et cetera, et cetera. But even if he's just more of like a 20 to 25 homer guy, which is still more than I ever thought he would be. You know, maybe he can be, you know, American League Ryan McMahon or something like that. Summers in that ballpark. So I think he's always been a solid, underrated bat. Like you mentioned, Chris, he's still only 23 years old, you know, in Tampa Bay. All of his home runs have been pulled. You look at his spray chart, every single home run has been pulled to left field. But, yeah, he's just a solid bat. I'm, I'm I guess, depending on context, in Dynasty, I, I might I, I might float him out there, see what you can get. I wouldn't be opposed to selling high. I think that thing to do either. And sticking down in Tampa Bay, moving over to the mound here, Luis Patino back in action. You know, one of the top at one point, I think he might have been like a, considered a top five pitching prospect by some, at least top ten. With when he came up through San Diego system and then over to Tampa Bay system, but you know, the major league career has not been that great. It's been okay, four fifty three ERA. He's been seventeen starts, fourteen relief outings, ninety five and a third total innings, one thirty seven WHIP. K rate kind of hasn't been there and he's been really inconsistent in terms of command and control, which was an issue for him a bit coming up through the minor leagues. So I've been kind of, I don't know. I like Patino. He's got that, that nice upside. I don't know. I I always wonder if he's just going to be one of those guys that just never lives up to it. Obviously Tampa Bay is a great org to, you know, maximize his potential and organization in baseball, especially on the mound. So that's great. I'm glad he's in Tampa Bay, but I don't know. I'm having a hard time figuring out how I want to value him. He's still only 22 years old, which is just phenomenal. I thought he would be like 24 at this point, but I don't know. First start, obviously, you only went two-thirds of an innings. You have a run. They're easing him back in. So I think there's a lot of upside there, obviously, but I don't know. I'm not quite as high on him as I used to be. Where, where are you at on him, Chris? I've faded him pretty significantly. I mean, he's looked decent in AAA so far. And I don't know. I'm I'm just curious, like, what kind of profile we're looking at long term? Because he's had moments this year where he's looked really good, and then others where it's just like there's no strikeouts there at all. And 
that's my kind of my concern here. Like maybe the stuff just doesn't play up as much. Maybe the command is not as good as we once thought that it could be. And, you know, walks have never been a huge part of his game, but I think that could hurt him. I don't know. I'm kind of fading. I think he could be a decent buy low, though, because people have faded him so much. Maybe you just take a shot on him and see where it goes. Yeah, possibly. I want to see what role they use him in, though. Like He's probably going to be back up soon, so I want to see what role they do use him in. I almost wonder if he's better serving the bullpen long term. I hate to say that so early on you know, a talented arm like him, but I just don't know if he ever has the command needed. You know, he's one of those guys where you need to see some strides there over the next couple of years to really stick as a starter because, you know, Tampa Bay, they like to, you know, they get they get crazy with some of their roles, openers and, you know, this and that. So I don't think there's it's a lock that he's a starter, you know, three, four years from now. We'll see. I'll, I'll give him a longer leash, obviously, because of the talent, you know, the pedigree, the track record, so on and so forth. But I think he's a guy that might be a bullpen guy long term. Or a couple of prospects, Francisco Alvarez, who I saw earlier this year, and he had a, a lot of hard hit balls. And I saw him probably, I think, four times out of four or five times out of that six game series. And he he's as advertised. I think with Adley now in the major leagues, I think you can consider, in terms of catching prospects that are still in the minor leagues. Alvarez is the top dog now, and he's been absolutely raking this entire year, especially recently. But overall, you look at the slash line, and he just got caught up to AAA, so he's not. I don't think he's up soon, but you know, maybe we we'll see him later this year. We'll see how the Mets want to if they want to push him up. But overall, two seventy seven, three sixty eight, five fifty three slash line, seen doubles, is in two hundred and ninety six plate appearances. And even better than that, recently he's just been tearing the cover off the ball and deserved that promotion. And even, you know, something I mentioned earlier when we, when we talked about him after my live looks was that, you know, he was very aggressive in that, you know, those four games I saw of him. But he's really improved his approach as the year's gone on. That walk rate has gone up well over 10%. He's kept the K rate. It's around 24% right now, which is fine. It's not great. It's not bad. It's kind of like in that, you know, average range hitter which i think that's where he, he settles in long, maybe 270 but twice is a 25 30 homer bat over a full season and in that mets lineup he's probably gonna have a lot of rbi as well so it's another guy we, we talked about kirk recently and his you know potential to be a top five catcher i think alvarez can be as well yeah i'm not wouldn't be surprised i mean he does a lot of things well good feel to hit monsters power like you said he hits the ball really hard post extremely high evs and he walks at a high clip. So he's pretty well-rounded in the profile. The Mets have really taken their time developing him as they definitely want him to be their catcher for the long term. And I think that really bodes well for his development. He's been able to develop behind the plate and both at the plate. And, you know, he slumped a little bit when he debuted or when he was called up to high A last year, despite hitting 22 home runs. Posted just a 247 average, but... We've seen that tick up significantly this year. He has 18 home runs in less than 300 plate appearances. You know, good distribution of line drives and fly balls as well. So I'm really excited about Alvarez. I think you're right. I think he's the clear cut, you know, top catching prospect that hasn't debuted yet. Yeah. And, and even, even if Moreno hadn't debuted, I like him more than Moreno. Yeah. I like him more than what's the, some of the guys in that range. Austin Wells. Yeah, there's that. I think he's with Adley up there. It's him, 
And then it's tier two after that. He's he was in that tier beginning of the year, but I think he's kind of bashed his way out of that tier, above that tier. Because I don't think there's really you know, any catcher with his combination of floor and ceiling is a solid defensive catcher as well. So he's a guy that I think could absolutely stick behind the plate long term. No real worries there. And you know, even keep his body fresh, keep that bat in the lineup more often than not. Kind of like how Toronto's done with Alejandro Kirk. So that added to the National League was definitely can only help Alvarez. Last name here on the docket before we hit the break, Heston Kierstad, who has had some really scary, you know, he, he's been, I don't know, quote unquote injured, but not really injured. It's been a heart issue. What do they call it? Myotachycardia. I'm probably butchering it. It's that long yeah. seven, 17 letter name. And, you know, I think it's a regular heartbeat or something like that. that's what it boils down to. I believe I could on heart issues as so it kept him out of action ever since he was drafted second overall by Baltimore back in the 2020 draft. But finally he returned to action about yeah, about three weeks ago. Now he's done in low a, so obviously take these stats with a grain of salt, but first off, it's just great to see him back in action. Like first and foremost, that he's healthy now. Hopefully all these heart issues are behind him. Obviously that's one of the, you're dealing with heart issues. That's always scary no matter what it is. So this he could be struggling mightily right now, and I'd just be happy he's back. But he's performing pretty well. But again, he's 23 in the low-way Carolina League right now with Delmarva. But he's slashing 444, 520, 635 in 17 games with six doubles, two home runs, 12 RBI, seven walks to 15 Ks. Obviously, Chris, when he was drafted, I was out of it being a little bit of a, a shock to see him go number two overall underslot move by Baltimore, but the power has always been his calling card. He had 31 home runs, uh, excuse me, 37 home runs in 150 games in Arkansas and the SEC hit 343, 421, 590. But that power has always been his calling card. Baltimore, especially for left-handed bats like Kierstad is definitely helps. He's not, not a righty deal that field. So I think this is a potential 30 homer bat where the average ends up, who knows, but definitely a guy that I think could bash his way back into the top 100 by end of season because that's where he kind of was after the draft before he had to miss time but yeah definitely it's good to see him back and hitting well yeah i certainly agree i mean scary stuff with heart issues and also a hamstring that has limited him this year but he's been really strong in his 75 plate appearances so far this year in low a and you gotta think with a hamstring coming back from it you're gonna take some time to get your power back but i think power's going to ultimately be his calling card, and it's just encouragement to see him slash 444, 526, 35 right now. Only two home runs. He's showing good plate skills, and I'm really excited to see where this goes. I like Kerstad. I think people were kind of, you know, why was he the second overall pick in the draft when he was taken in 2020? But I think he has a chance to prove his worth, and hopefully he gets healthy and can do that this year. Yeah, I, I, I forgot to mention the hamstring injury, too. I was, I was so focused on the heart. But, yeah, glad to see him back. And he's a guy that I think definitely could rise up rankings here moving forward. So I think I, I dropped him down to around the 200 range, but he's a top 100 talent, no doubt about that. Just got to see him get you know back into the flow here, get away from all the heart issues and the hamstring, get that power back up to where we all know it can be. Yeah, I think he's, he's going to be a, a very nice prospect here moving forward. Hope, probably gets to bump the high A, so maybe double A later in the year, given his age, but and experience. And to see him back, but we'll go ahead and take a quick break. I got on the, on the other side and get into some prospect standouts here over the last you know few weeks. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
All right, and we have a new sponsor to the podcast, and that is Manscaped. Hopefully, you've had a chance to try their product, but if not, I'm encouraging you to do so. You have a chance at a special offer because our podcast, the Fantrax Toolshed, is now brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. They offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package, which we've been fortunate enough to get and try. And I'm telling you, it's well worth it. Join us and 4 million other men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With our code Toolshed, you can get 20% off at manscaped.com. That's using the code Toolshed. The Performance Package 4.0 is here, and it's a game changer. I've had the 3.0 package, and I can tell you that the 4.0 is a great upgrade. Inside this package, you will find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, a weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, and crop reviver toner, performance broxer briefs, and a travel bag for all your goodies. First off, the lawnmower 4.0 is the trimmer of future grooming, and dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. I'm blown away by the performance and the craftsmanship of this trimmer. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a ceramic edge cutting blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is also waterproof and has a 400K LED spotlight you need for your most precise shave. Because this what the trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was good, and Manscaped decided to take the 4.0 package even further, which includes the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. It's also waterproof and provides skin-safe technology to reduce nicks, snags, tugs in those delicate nose holes. The Crop Preserver below-the-waist deodorant and Crop Reviver below-the-waist toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene routine. Manscaped has even thrown in two free gifts to their Performance 4.0, and that's the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping using the code TOOLSHED. And you know that your shed needs a new tool, and that would be Manscaped. So go to manscaped.com and use our code TOOLSHED for 20% off. All right, welcome back from the break. Let's get into some prospect standouts here. We'll start on the pitching side of things. And the first name here that we want to talk about, who obviously we've talked about a few times, but we'll talk about him again right now just because it sounds like he might be on the verge of a debut tomorrow when you listen to this on Wednesday. And that's Brayon Bayo, who just he just hasn't stopped performing. It does not matter to Brayon Bayo over the last 30 days for him, which is all come at AAA, 34 and a third innings. 262 ERA, 111 whip, 46 strikeouts, 13 walks in those 34 and a third innings. And according to Alice Cora, he is a candidate to start on Wednesday. That has not been like locked in as of now, 3 p.m. Eastern time on Monday, the 4th. But maybe by the time you listen to this, that will be locked in. And hopefully, you know, I've been waiting for him for a while. I think he's ready. And I saw him this year back in uh, mid to late April. He just looks the part of a... Yeah, maybe even a number two guy. I will say confidently he could be a number three starter, a high-end number three. He's got the mid to upper 90s fastball that he commands for pretty well. 
Sliders above average, tight gyro spin. Kind of, kind of looks like a cutter at times, but it's a good swing and miss offering. And then his changeup, I think, is double plus personally. You know, the walk rate has been a little higher than it has in the past, but definitely not a concern. I think he's going to be at least average in the control department, above average command, in my opinion. I think if you can stash him right now, do so. I think he, this is one of the, the few impact arms left this year that can come up. I think right now it's really just him and Max Meyer are the two and I'm really looking forward to for the rest of the year for fantasy purposes. So, yeah, Bayo is a guy I would definitely stash right now if he could. I think he could be a uh, potentially an impact arm right away. And I want maybe not necessarily in 10 teamers right now, but 12 plus team leagues. He's definitely a good stash right now. Yeah, I certainly agree. He's just dominated. He's kept performing even, you know, with his debut at triple a, he's been elite the strikeout stuff is there. And man, I wonder if he can stick long-term in the Sox rotation this year, at least just because I know that sale and some of the other guys are coming back from injury, but if he performs, they're going to find a spot for him. I think he's ready to help this team, and he's ready to help your fantasy teams too. The stuff is just so good. The changeup is – man, I think he's got three-plus pitches with the fastball slider and change. The changeup you know, could be one of the better pitches of, of those. So I'm beyond excited about seeing what he can do against big league hitting. Yeah, as am I. And if you want to see that changeup on full display, go on the Twitter and do a search and put my hands so at EricCross04 – and then just type in Bayo and Mauricio. You should pull up a video I posted of him. It was his last batter of that outing back from late April. And he struck out Mauricio in three straight change-ups. And Mauricio was not even remotely in the vicinity of any of those change-ups. He looked like he, looked, he made them before. I think that's one of the best change-ups in the minor leagues and maybe could be one of the best change-ups in baseball here in short order. So, Go out and get yourself some Brayon Bayo because he's going to be a very good starter for a very long time, I think. Very excited about him as a Red Sox fan personally as well. Next name on the list here, we'll, we'll go down to Texas, a little Owen White action. And we kind of spoke about him not too long back, and we said, you know, I know Chris definitely has him ahead of win. I, at the time, was kind of like fluctuating between the two, but now I do. But White just continues to impress. You know, He has not stopped you know, just performing very well here in the minor leagues. 29 and two-thirds innings over the last 30 days. Allowed six runs with six walks and 42 Ks. It's a 182 ERA and a 1.01 whip. And he still doesn't really get talked about, Chris. Maybe it's because he's in Texas. I don't know. Maybe that's just an org that you don't get a lot of prospect buzz from unless, unless you're like a super elite guy. But he's, he's ahead of win now. When are we going to talk about him maybe being ahead of Jack Leiter? I think that's at least... I still have lighter ahead of my rankings, but I think that should be that, that's becoming a conversation here pretty damn quick. Yeah, it seems that way. He's been really good. He was really good in the fall league. I kind of mentioned it before, but he had a kind of rough path to get where he, he is. He was drafted in 2018, dealt with injuries, Tommy John, the 2020 shutdown, and then some injuries last year. So he had only coming into the season, despite being drafted in 2018, had just 33 professional innings which you know a little bit concerning he was really good in the fall league and he's been pretty stellar so far this year even with his bump to double a been extremely good i'm pretty confident in this profile it's not flashy but he's got four pitches pretty well rounded with good command so i'm pretty comfortable saying that he's an easy top 100 prospect probably pushing near top 80 status at this point big fan of what owen white does and 
really think that he could progress and be a really solid starter. Now, do you see him passing lighter soon? Possible. I mean, lighter's going in the wrong direction. So if something doesn't change soon, then yeah, I could see that certainly changing. Lighters can't stop walking anybody. And I mentioned that, you know, I don't know, a month or so ago that, or even if it was in a tweet, I don't even remember where I said Vanderbilt time and his time in the minor leagues. And again, he's still young. He's still good at getting acclimated to professional baseball, but the common you know, thing there has been the walks and he's, I think it was career like 11 point whatever percent it was in the last 30 days for lighter 14 innings, 13 walks. That's just not good. 186 whip. I, I still like the talent. Obviously he's got the stuff to be, you know, a potential frontline guy, but we've seen pitchers that are just as good as lighter get, have their careers derailed by command and control issues, too many walks. And I don't, I'm not putting, it's a huge concern that he should be, you know, outside top 200 or whatever. He's still top 100 for me, but yeah, definitely concerning. And I think you could see Owen White ahead of Jack Leiter pretty soon here. And I did not think that would be possible when we entered the season. Even though I liked White a good amount uh, coming into the season, but I never thought he'd be on the verge of maybe surpassing Jack Leiter by, you know, mid-July or so. But that's where we're at. Next name on the docket here, Gavin Stone from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Again, he's a guy that, you know, if you want to listen to some analysis on him, James Anderson talked with him a little bit on our pitching you know, three weeks ago or so, and where he was taken very high. I forget where, but he was, just definitely earned everything, all the accolades this year. Because another thing, I, I never thought we'd be talking about Gavin Stone above Bobby Miller right now, but I think that's definitely another conversation. I still have Miller ranked ahead, but it's getting really close. And there's a chance I'm doing my next uh, top 400 update after the draft, which is, I don't know, two weeks or so from now that there's a chance Gavin Stone might be ahead of Bobby Miller. Look at over the last 30 days, 27 innings, only allowed six earned runs, eight walks, 39 Ks, two ERA on the dot, 111 whip. And you look for, for the entire st- season so far, which has been, let's see here, across high A and double A, 68 innings, 146 ERA, 103 whip, 91 strikeouts to 16 walks. And like like, uh, like Jack Leiter, Miller has been struggling in double A. He hasn't been walking nearly as many as Leiter has, but just, you know, his ERA is above five. It's been a higher whip. Kind of just, man, nothing that impresses you. So Stone has a performance this year. So he's not a guy that, He's probably a top 100 guy now and maybe surpassing Miller here pretty damn quick. Yeah, and you've looked in the month of June. He had a 13K game, 11K game, another 11K game. So certainly been encouraged by his strikeouts. He's just been absolutely dominant this year. He doesn't walk many batters either. So he's moving up the board quickly. And, man, I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if he got a call up for a spot start this year. He's He's nearly 24 yeah. years old in double a. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers give him a spot start this year and see what he's got. Yeah. That wouldn't shock me in, in the least. They've done it before you know, from double a, you know, and already. So and it's not like stone is some like young kid. It's not, it's not like he's Jerry Perez or something like that. He's not 19, 20 years old. He's 23. You know, he's, he's had his time at double a. So yeah, maybe, maybe not right now, but you know, they need some, someone in, you know, let's say mid to late August, which, you know, the Dodgers have a very talented rotation, but, one that's had some injuries here for many of their guys. So probably get a, a spot start open up and maybe that goes to a Gavin Stone as opposed to going to Bobby Miller, who's performing not much less than Stone has this year. But so who do you like more, Gavin Stone or Owen White, Chris? I think White's safer, but I like Stone's upside a little more. 
I think Stallings just got a little bit better stuff. I trust the command, though, with White a little more. Yeah, I think I'm kind of there with you, but both definitely, I think, top will be top 100 for me next update here in, in the next week or two. Sticking in the National League West, going down to San Diego, another guy that's a little older for the level, pretty old for the level, but so one that had a little bit of intrigue in, in last year's draft, and now he's performing very well over the last month. That's Robert Gasser from the San Diego Padres, 23 years old in high A. So again, a bit old for the level, but hey, you already can you know perform where you can perform. You know, you, you say it was just to go up there and do his thing, and he's been doing that. He's probably due for a promotion double A pretty soon here with how he's been over the last month. 30 and two-thirds innings, 117 ERA, 0.85 whip, 37 Ks, only seven walks. You know, Gash is another guy that doesn't get a lot of love right now. He wasn't a super high draft pick. I think he was, was he third round, Chris, if I recall, or something like that. He wasn't like a first round guy. So doesn't have like that high prospect pedigree from the draft. And again, he's a little older for the level, but I think he's a guy that needs to be ranked higher than he probably is in a lot of prospect rankings. I'm not saying he's top 100 or anything like that, but pretty soon here. What do, what do you think? Yeah, and you're right. I liked him a little bit last year, and he was he was 71st overall pick in last year's draft. A little older, but I'm intrigued by the stuff. He's got a really good slider. Yeah. Fastballs, probably the question mark here. They can play up enough, but certainly working right now in high A. He's been really good. At 313 FIPS, pretty stout, 30% K rate, just 7.7% walk rate. So I certainly like what he's doing, I think that he's probably moving up rankings and – you know, rightfully so. So how high can he get? I don't know. I think the ceiling's kind of limited, but there is a lot to like in this profile. Yeah, no, there's not really any standout pitches in the profile. Like maybe that slider is probably maybe is plus, but I think he's a big guy that maybe is a bunch of like average above average offerings, solid enough command and control. You know, he doesn't again doesn't always end up anywhere, but just a solid profile all around. Keeps the walks in check and miss bats at a higher clip than you'd probably expect him to do. So, yeah, I'm definitely a guy that, again, not top 100 on him, but I think top 200 is definitely possible here sooner rather than later. Another, I guess, kind of the theme here uh, of these last few have been guys that are old for the levels, but performing very well nonetheless. Mitch, uh, not Mitch, I don't know why Mitch McGarry sounds like it <laughs> flows well. I don't know why, but Griff McGarry, which also you know flows pretty well, has been absolutely, every time you look, I think he's got back-to-back, Double-digit strikeout games here. Again, he's 20, I believe 23 years old. Let me see here. He is yeah, 23 years old in high A. Uh, over the last month, he has 43 strikeouts in just 23 and a third innings with a 193 ERA, 0.94 whip, and only a nine walks. You know, he's another guy that that's right. given where he was taken. Never really been on any – I don't think I saw him anywhere near any top 300, top 400 – entering the year because he hadn't really done a lot to put himself in that position. But this year, I think he definitely has. He's, he's 6'2", 190, big fastball, solid mix. You know, got three breaking balls, uh, me, three off-speed pitches, curveball, slider, changeup, all are pretty solid. But command and control has been the issue for him. Throughout his career, he's been given a lot of below-average command and control grades. This year, he's gotten a little bit better. I said that only the nine walks the last 23 and two-thirds innings, which is not great, but... He's getting better there. He's getting bumped up. He's got bumped up to double A recently. So hopefully I can see him later this year. Yeah, but again, just a guy that has been striking out everybody, got good stuff. That's not the question, but 
don't know, where do you think you could see him rising to in your rankings, Chris? And he's another guy that not top 100, obviously, maybe not even top 200, maybe top 250. You think that's fair? Yeah, I think that's a fair place. And I think we talked about him probably three weeks, a month ago, and he's just gotten better since his last three starts. He's gone six innings, 10 Ks, 5.1 innings, 13 Ks, six innings, 11 Ks. The walks are a bit of an issue, but he's still struck out 48 over the last month, over 28 innings with a 2.86 ERA. So that's pretty dang good. I have some worries about the control. He's 12.3% walk rate right now. And that's hasn't really improved much, but overall he's getting the job done. So you can't argue against that when he's getting the results despite the walks. So I think top two fifties of a fair range right now. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty fair too. Last guy for pitching names here. Again, I think we talked about recently, but he pops up again. Look quick on him. Ricky Tiedemann, 19 years old, high A for Toronto. He's just been dominating the entire season, and the walk rate has come down as well. He only has six walks in his last 23 and a third innings over the last month. 34 Ks, still striking everybody that he sees. 193 ERA and a 0.94 whip in those last five starts. I think simply, I'll just ask you this, Chris. Is he top 50 overall for you right now? And where does he rank in the elite you know, pitching prospect echelon? Yeah, he's top 50, and I think he's firmly in tier two of, of pitching prospects where there's a, a solid group there in that second tier. Like, you know, your first tier is your Grayson Rodriguez for sure, and, and it kind of gets debatable after that. But I think that Tiedemann's easily in tier two, which puts him as a top 10 pitching prospect for sure with a chance to move up even more. All right. We're going to play a little game of who would you rather have because this is a very this is a really fun range of pitching prospects to talk about. All right, Chris, would you rather have Rikita or let's go Gavin Williams? I think I'd rather have Tiedemann at this point, just based on what we've seen from the strikeout stuff and his arsenal. I love Gavin Williams, but give me I do Tiedemann. Too. All right. How about Tiedemann or Taj Bradley? Hmm. A big Taj guy. I've liked him for a long time, but let's pull up his page real quick, see what he's doing. Oh, man. I think that's pretty close. Probably a coin flip. I just lean Taj Bradley. I've seen a little more of him at least to feel more comfortable. So go Bradley. Yeah, I'm there with you. One. Tiedemann or Kyle Harrison? I think they're very similar pitchers, honestly. They um, are. I just go with Harrison for track record, but I do think it's pretty close. Yeah, all these guys are in a cluster. Harrison's 44, and Williams is 51. So these guys are all within like an eight-spot cluster for me. So this is really fun. And then Max Meyer's ahead of – I have obviously Max Meyer ahead. He's the next one up, but he's a good 10, 12 spots above Harrison right now in my overall. So, yeah, this is a really fun range right, right below this this cluster. So I think this, that's probably Tier 2. Tier 3, you have guys like you know Mick Abel – I think Bram Bayo could be. Would you put Bayo in that tier, Chris? Or you have him like tier three? He's I'm, tier I'm, three, but it's close. He's high tier three. Yeah, he's like tier two point five for me. I like, I struggle. He's like right in the middle. Like he's behind Williams, ahead of Abel. He's in that range. And then you go Andrew Andrew Painter, and then you get down to the guys who are top, like Jack Leiter, Bobby Miller, Jackson Joe. That's more tier three for sure. But yeah, this is a really fun tier two. Tier one for me is. Uh, I think I would consider it G Rod. Boz, Espino, 
Yuri and do you put Max Meyer in one or two? He's kind of like in a land of his own in my rankings. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. He's not in that tier one with like with G Rod and Boss, even though Boss may have graduated. I'm not really sure, but did uh, he? I know he's close. If, he's if he close. Had, if not, if if he didn't, he'll be like another starter too. Right, but yeah, I think that Meyer's kind of behind those guys, but it's close. Yeah. All right, moving over to the hitting side of things here. You know, like I put a tweet earlier today. You know, Esteri Ruiz has gotten a lot of the love in terms of prospect discussion from San Diego this year. And rightfully so. He's been, you know, performing like Ricky Henderson in the minor leagues. I think he has like 60 seals or 50 seals, something like that. A lot of seals and the power and the average, everything. He's been dominating. But a guy that's been performing very well also has really been flying under the radar over the last month. Yeah. We, we found that out at, uh, when we figured that out. It was at, at the uh, AFL last year, right? When we yep. figured out it was Eggy. Yeah. When they pronounced his name, we kind of looked at each other. <laughs> I know. I think I remember like we were talking about it. Or we like, how do you pronounce that? Is it E guys? I don't think we, either one of us ever heard it said out loud before. I think I remember I was walking down, I think to go gra- grab water or something when he came up and we heard Eggy. We just, I remember looking, turning back to you and we're like, <laughs> yeah, there it is. That's how it is. But yeah, anyway. Eggy Rosario, 22 years old in AAA, so he's up there with Estrella Ruiz. Over the last month, 134-18, 736. That's a 406 ISO, 11 doubles, 10 home runs, 6 steals, 8.2% walk rate, and then 11.5% strikeout rate. So, do, so doing basically everything that Ruiz is doing outside of the elite speed, but still contributing some in terms of speed here. Overall, like he got off to a slow start, so the overall numbers don't look quite as good. 330 plate appearances, all in AAA, 268, 359, 484, 19 doubles, 13 home runs, and 13 steals. But are you a believer? I think it's a little bit of you know AAA cooking that is kind of influencing this spike here we've seen. Well, I wrote him up in my latest Patreon article as a prospect that we really need to monitor this month. He had a stellar month of June, so or really last 30 days, but... I think he's one that we're going to have to watch and just see if this is sustainable. I don't know if it is or not, but he since June 1st, he's hit 316 with 10 home runs. Obviously, we know he's going to steal bases. Like That's a part of his game. Like We kind of expected him to do that, but the power that we've seen is kind of unexpected, and the contact progression that we saw in the last month has been really huge for him, you know, really cutting down the strikeout rate. So... I think that he's one that we're really going to have to watch closely this month. I think that part of me wonders if you just pick him up now and see where it goes. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him go either way. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see this be legit, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see him tail off a bit. Yeah, he's done the one where we talked about this with uh, Abrams where he got called up and his severe home road splits. You see that for a lot of these Padres AAA guys. El Paso is very, very hitter friendly. You look at Eggie's splits here, the season home and road. Uh, at home, 163 plate appearances, 324, 417, 633, with nine home runs, 16 doubles, and six steals. On the road, so has four home runs and seven steals in 36 games, which is solid, but 216, 301, 345. The slash line not nearly as impressive. You know, the walk rate isn't quite as high. K rate's higher than it is at home. So you got to wonder, especially with the San Diego guys, how much of it is just that El Paso environment. So I'm impressed. At the same time, I'm being I'm kind of cautious. 
again, I think you put it very nicely that he's just a guy that we have to monitor to see where this goes, how much of it's legit. Maybe he's a guy that's up soon. He's a guy that has flexibility. He's played second, third, and short this year. So if they ever need anybody in that infield, which they probably will at some point, and he might be, might be a guy that gets a call here sooner rather than later. But maybe he could sell high right now. We'll see just because, again, I think a lot of this is AAA influence. Not all of it, but I think I would lean towards selling high on him if possible mm-hmm. here on the list. Brayon Rocio, who was a guy that I think was top, at least probably top 50 on a lot of fantasy focused lists. I think I had him a little higher than most. I think I might have pushed him up to in the 35 ish range. And he had a, you know, a slow start to the year, but he's kind of come on over the last month here where he's hitting 272, 352, 478, seven doubles, four home runs, and two steals, 10.4% walk rate, and a 14.2% K rate. But really, it's been over the last two weeks. 371, 410, 857, little power surge here. Five home runs, excuse me, five doubles and four home runs with a steal over his last 40 player appearances. This is a 21 year old in double A. So it's been really a bit of a roller coaster this year for, for Rocio, Chris. Where do you think he he is long term? Is he like a top back at top 100 guy? Do you think he can get top 50 again? How do you value him moving forward? Well, I think the tools are that of an easy top 50 guy if he just shows more consistency at the plate. And we've seen that kind of come around some, as you mentioned, over the last couple of weeks. But I think you're looking at a plus contact hitter at least. There's plus speed in the profile. You know, what kind of power he gets to is probably the question mark. But, you know, it's certainly encouraging to see him post a pretty high slug over the last month and the last couple of weeks at that. I know his season slug is just 401 and the ISO at, at 159 isn't very encouraging, but it's really come around, you know, these last couple of weeks and, Really cut the strikeout rate, which I think is a big thing. So putting more balls in play and hitting the ball hard will be something to watch for him. But yeah, I think he has the tools of a top 50 guy. I do as well. I think I'm going to move him back. Let's see. I moved him down to see last update. He was 73 for me. But yeah, I am back into that top 50 range because, you know, like Nick Gonzalez is at 48. I don't know. Who do you like more, Nick Gonzalez or Rocio? I think they're pretty close now. Yeah, I think they're close. And Nick Nick hasn't had a good year either, so that's yeah. kind of tough. But uh, yeah, but I think I think he's in that range though. Yeah, no, I think See, that's fair. Nick York's in that range. Kind of Nick York. I think both these guys I liked more than Rocio entering the year, but York's kind of circled a little bit. Uh, Gonzalez has as well, and now he's hurt. So yeah, I think, I think they're all in the same range. I think he'll probably be back around top fifty here moving forward. And another you know infield prospect in the. I know they have they have all the big names in Kansas City, the Bobby Witt Juniors, you know, Vinny Pasquantino, obviously, Nick Prado, even though he's struggling, MJ Melendez, you know, the list goes on and on. But Michael Massey is, I think, maybe one of the top five most underrated prospects in baseball here. He just continues to hit here. He had a little bit of a, a slow patch here back in, in May and early June, but he's really picked it up here over the last two weeks. So you'll get a season line though. First off, 308, 365, 526, 21 doubles, 14 home runs, 11 steals, 8.6% walk rate. And over the last 10 days where he's really ratcheted it back up that performance, 341, 400, 707, three doubles, four home runs, and a steal, and only 12 strikeouts to three walks. So he's a guy that doesn't get the lobbies. a little bit older, 24 years old in AAA, but he can hit, you know, Good feel for hitting, solid power, 
he can run a little bit as well. Maybe he's like a 270, 275 type hitter, you know, 20-ish home runs, 5 to 10 steals. Doesn't stand out, but that's a very valuable guy from that second base position. So I think he should be top 100 now as well, and I don't see him there in a lot of lists. Yeah, I just think he really kind of lags the the big-time tools, but that's okay. I mean, he's had plenty of extra base hits this year. He's had 14 home runs between double and triple-A and 21 doubles. So kind of encouraged by the extra base hits at least. So you like to see that. He's striking out a little bit more than you want in triple-A, but I think he's kind of settled in some. Still has a 319, 385, 623 slash. In triple-A, just 17, or sorry, 78 plate appearances, but still encouraging to see. There's a little speed in the profile too, so... I think he's just kind of a guy that gets the job done and it's going to stay under the radar, but you can get for pretty cheap. Yeah. And you look at the last two years combined as he performed very well last year and really no one took notice of, of that. Outside of our buddy, Jared Perkins, who's been pumping him up for a while now, but last year in high A, again, he was 23 in high A, but 289, 351, 531 slash line, 27 doubles, 21 home runs and 12 steals. So now if you combine the last two years, which is 171 games, so a little bit over a full year, 23 steals, or even caught four times, walk rate, you know, about 8 9%, K rate, you know, like I said, not great, but solid enough. And, you know, right around a 300 average or so with an OBP around like 355, 360 in that range. So there's a lot of good things there in the profile. Again, like we kind of both alluded to, nothing flashy that, you know, it's not a, a sexy prospect profile. But just a very solid, well-rounded profile, especially from that second base position. That I think he's going to be a guy that always kind of outproduces his expectations and has a pretty solid career. And a guy that you know you never be excited about drafting, but maybe he settles in as a pretty solid mid-round pick or something like that. So definitely think he deserves more love in fantasy circles than he's getting right now. Moving on to another infielder that gets a lot of love, but hasn't really been talked about a lot this year despite having a pretty for my Boston Red Sox, and that's Marcelo Mayer. Overall, 291, 371, 525 slash line in 205 play appearances. This is as a 19-year-old in low A. 21 doubles, 7 home runs, even adding 10 steals. Again, it's low A, but I, I'm glad to see him at least running a bit. That was kind of a question mark, how much will he run? I still think it's going to be you know a double-digit steal profile, but maybe you know 8 to 10 steals. I think that's definitely possible with you know 20 to 25 home runs and high average is a Corey Seager type with a little bit less power but that adds a little bit of speed so not quite as valuable overall as Seager but I think this could be a top 100 fantasy player you know obviously several years down the road he's only 19 years old but he's a guy that's around top 25 for me that just doesn't get a lot of love just because he's just that very good he's like a, you know a Michael Massey, but better, but just not a sexy profile. Like he just doesn't have the, you know, huge power speed of a Jordan Lawler, but very good hitter, very underrated hitter that I think should be top 25 right now. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly proved his worth and he's, it's worth mentioning. He's been banged up. He's had some injuries that have made the playing time a little bit inconsistent. He's finally kind of proved health in the month of June into this month as well. And he's performed. So he's done everything you want to see. Man, I'm really hoping that he gets the call to Greenville soon because you got to figure that he doesn't stick around the lower levels for long. So I need him up this year so I can get some good looks at him. But he's certainly proved his worth as you know most of those guys in last year's draft class did. The prep guys have been dominant. 
it's kind of crazy to think Khalil Watson has been, you know, the worst of them, but you know, house and Meyer and Lawler have all been really stinking good. So yeah, I'm certainly encouraged by, by what Marcelo Mayer's done so far. So I'm excited to watch him progress. I'm excited to get some live looks at him in Greenville soon, hopefully. All right. You can have him, but give, give me Nick York. <laughs> well, Nick York hasn't really warranted a yeah. call up the double A, but hey, but at least you gave me Raffaella and uh, Alex Benellis. So thank yeah. I appreciate you because we lost Bayo and Walter to triple A, who are the two top pitching guys. So at least we have a little bit of offensive firepower here. I still haven't seen Benellis yet because I've been moving this entire week. So I didn't get him soon, and Raphael has been very good, obviously. But next guy here is a guy that we, we both saw out in the AFL this past year, and I saw him earlier this year as well. Brett Beatty has been just doing Brett Beatty things, but at another level over the last month, 119 plate appearances, 327, 429, 574 slash line, four doubles, seven home runs, and out of the steal as well, 12.6% walk rate, 25.2% K rate over that time. So that K rate coming down a little bit still, you know, 25%. It's not great, but definitely coming down. It was over 30% earlier this year. Showing more power. He's always been a guy that hits the ball hard. Like we saw a lot of hard hit balls, you know, 100 plus miles an hour out in the AFL. He had, I think, three in a two game span that I saw him early in the year. And I think, I think four or five total in those four games, I saw a lot of it was all doubles and hit a home run. But a guy that's always had the extra base power, but more of a line drive, gap to gap guy, but start getting the home run total up. And for the overall season here, this is an all in double A. Beatty is now at 283, 384, 481, 16 doubles, 10 home runs, 12.2% uh, walk rate, 28.8% K rate. So again, that K rate has come down. Has your opinion on Beatty changed at all, Chris? Are you still kind of thinking, all right, you know, solid bat, solid power, but K rate still in issues? Are, are you kind of still in that mindset or, or has your opinion changed at him? Yeah, but he kind of just makes it work. You know, the OBP skills are really good, and he hits the ball extremely hard. So I think he can make it work, even with the higher strikeout rate. I am concerned to see what he does at the big league level. I don't know what kind of numbers we see from him, but I think that's kind of a a wait-and-see type thing. But, you know, it is encouraging that he's dropped his ground ball rate pretty significantly this year, and he's hitting more line drives. That's going to help sustain the batting average, but – I'm a, I'm just afraid that he's going to get eaten up at the big league level. You know, already striking out near 30 percent of the time in Double A, so we'll see. But I, I have my my worries, even though I do like how hard he hits the ball, and he's been a, a solid performer this year. Absolutely. All right, rounding out the show here, talk a little Miguel Vargas, who's had a kind of up and down year. Started out really hot. Then had, you know, May was really not a great month for him, but really has heated that back up here in June. Uh, actually, it was more so late April in early May. Then he really got back you know, into the swing of things in late May. But overall here, over the last 30 days, Vargas is at a 303-377-569 slash line, 266 ISO, nine doubles and six home runs with three steals, 9.8% walk rate, 13.1% K rate. You know, I think we both have him top 25 now. Is that right? Do you have him top 25, Chris? Yeah, I have him top 10. <laughs> oh, you have him top 10 now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So I, I'm I obviously, with, with the, he's, he might even be top 20 for me. He's right in that. There's a big cluster for me in that range. A lot of guys I like. But this is a guy that he's been doing this at AAA, really been heating up over the last you know month or so, four or five weeks. 
do you think we see him soon? He's kind of one of the guys that might be one of the few impact prospects left to come up this year. So when do you see Vargas? Or when do you think we see him, Chris? I mean, I think he's probably the next big prospect to get the call. You mentioned he might be the only big prospect really left, but I think it's just kind of a matter of time. You know, the Dodgers haven't been one that heavily promotes, but you just have to wonder how long they can keep riding Justin Turner. I'm not sure. I mean, I know his season long line is not great to look and see if he's gotten better as of recent, but I don't. He, ha- he hasn't. I just pulled up his uh, monthly splits. In he hit 197 in April in 19 games, 240 in 25 games in May, and 236 in 25 games in June. He's hitting 333 this month, but also you know only three games, so he's not been he's not gotten better. You know, slugging's gone way down. 360 slug last month, not hitting for power. They like him, I know that, but I don't know how you how long can he ride that? Right. Uh... I'm I'm curious. I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, he has a yeah he has a vesting option for next year. So I'm curious what that. Let's see what that is. I mean, if he's not performing, like, do they want to vest him? I don't. He's going to be 38 next year. Yeah, and that's is his option would vest at 17 and a half million. He okay, so it doesn't matter. I don't think if Turner finishes top 10 in the MVP voting. In 2022, his 2023 option vested 20 million. He finishes between 11th and 15th with at least 10 total points. His option will vest at 17.5. I wonder if that's the only option there. If so, like he's not going to hit it. So, yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, but, that'd be really, he had to really go on a tear <laughs> here to hit that. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, Vargas is my top prospect to stash like outside of Brian Bayo as we you know, kind of assume that he's up yes. but I don't know I I think it's just a matter of time I wouldn't be surprised to see him later in July he's he's more than ready I think he's proved his worth at this point yeah and that's really the only spot I think I can see him breaking into he he's been mostly at third he's played a little first little second this year I'll just take Freddie Freeman who's heating up again and turning back into Freddie Freeman that we saw with the Braves you know, he's played a couple games in the outfield. I don't know. Maybe if they get desperate, you know, Chris Taylor's injured right now. Bellinger sucks, but I don't know. They, they keep, keep, I think they're determined just to ride Bellinger out there in center field. But I don't know. Maybe Muncie has not looked good. And I, I posted a tweet the other day that since Joey Gallo, it was a tweet about Gallo, was traded to the Yankees on July 30th last year. Gallo had the lowest average at like 164 or something like that. Second lowest was so. He hasn't really been able to get back on track after the elbow injury last uh, last year and into the offseason and kind of hampered him earlier in this year. So maybe Muncie gets, you know, loses playing time. So and then he's been he's been DHing, playing some second base. So I think there is a couple of different avenues. Obviously, the easiest one would be Justin Turner, but I don't know. They just like Justin Turner. I know that leadership with him. There's a lot of other intangibles outside of what he gives on the field that the Dodgers really value and they can afford to have a guy like him, you know, not be, you know, a great hitter when they have like Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Trey, you know, you can afford to have, you know, Turner in there and just being kind of man like he has been. But yeah, Vargas, I think is my top guy to stash as well. Ruiz could be up in that mix. I don't, I just don't know when they bring him up at San Diego. You never know, but I think in terms of impact guys, there's not a ton of them left come up this year outside of something unforeseen. 
But yeah, Miguel Vargas is just very underrated. He's kind of the king of the underrated profile, even though he's just done nothing but hit his entire career. And that power's come along over the last couple of years, a little bit of speed as well. So I think he's going to be a very, even a top 10 fantasy third baseman. Maybe, I don't know, maybe top five. I wouldn't rule that out in that five, six, seven range. And that second tier, I think it'll be first tier at the position, but second tier, very underrated, very good hitter. So yeah, if you have some a couple spots on your bench, deeper benches, I think he's a good stash right now. I think he could be up really any time now, but definitely by end of the season, I think we see him in some capacity. But all right, that's going to wrap us up. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow for Chris of that road of Clegg and our shows at Fantrax Toolshed and check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ, Fantasy Pros, or over on our Patreon, of course. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care.